Hello and welcome to Life Beyond the Numbers, the podcast for people who are curious about how to have a more fulfilling work life. We live in a world largely driven by numbers, logic and reason. But how we feel at work and about our work impacts us, our organisations and society. There is a relationship between the numbers of our organisations and the life beyond the numbers. I'm Susan Michrielon, your host. I've lived and worked in many countries. I've met people who love what they do and people who don't, people who bring their full selves to work and people who won't. But one thing that I've learned that is common to us all is that we are all unique and have unique experiences. And it's helpful to know that there are others who think like we do, or have had struggles too, or have gone where we want to go, or can show us things we didn't know. So join me and my guests as we place a lens on the human side of work life by sharing insights, stories and strategies to inspire you to let your uniqueness shine through. Today I am delighted to be joined by Ellen Leith on Life Beyond the Numbers. Ellen, you're most welcome. Well, thank you very much, Susan. Thank you for having me. It's great. Usually you're the one interviewing me. So it's really nice to be doing it the other way around. (laughs) Indeed. I'm very used to seeing your face in front of me. And as you say, I'm normally the one setting the questions, but it's your turn now. (laughs) It's my turn. So let's see how we get on. But just before we pressed record, we nearly got into a conversation. I was Mm. like, no, let's hold that for this discussion. (laughs) Because what you've done, I believe, is quite incredible. You started a network back in 2008 and you Mm. manage and drive 15,000 key decision makers across a variety of different industries Mm. and so congratulations because I think that's phenomenal and what was the motivation to set this up? Well thank you thank you very much to start with yes I mean it has been phenomenal and I sometimes can't believe that it's been 14 years when I think about 2008 and everything that happened in 2008 it suddenly seems like such a long time ago and here we are in 2022 and the network's growing getting stronger we're doing different things and and we're still really excited about it I think that's one of the main things we love connecting people and you you talked about different industries and the, and the different job titles and focus that we include within that network and for me that's been one of the most important and exciting aspects of doing it Perhaps to begin with, going back to the early days of 2008, we were mostly and in fact almost entirely talking to people in accounts payable. And one of the main reasons for doing that at that time was because there wasn't really anywhere for people working within that sector of the business to go to find one place to come to where they could find out information and crucially feel valued as well. Right back at the beginning we were actually called Accounts Payable News so some people might know us as APN and the focus then was really in the news aspect so bringing information to a group of people who perhaps 
didn't have that information to hand, you know, talking about best practice, talking about new technologies which may be able to help, and creating an environment and a platform where people can come together, join and talk to each other. Because even now that can still sometimes be an issue, but going back to those days, those far off days of 2008, people working within accounts payable sometimes found themselves treated like a back office, but actually almost sitting physically in a back office where they were siloed, head down, focused on their work, and mostly considered as something of a transactional function and didn't necessarily talk to other people who were in doing a similar kind of thing in other businesses elsewhere. So the idea really was, do you know what? It doesn't have to be and shouldn't be treated as something which is back office, but which should be something which is celebrated and tied into the main overriding strategies of the business, because it can be. And trying to raise the profile and get other people within their business, areas of finance and, and overseeing that area to recognize the importance of accounts payable. Now, as the industry itself moved on, and as also technology moved on and our network grew, we then took in other functions as well where the points of accounts payable touched. So we then found ourselves talking to other areas of end-to-end procure-to-pay. And now that includes obviously finance, P2P, and also procurement as well, because as the industry and businesses moved on, we find that those areas where those points touch, there's a good reason for them to talk to each other. It's critical. Um, it, it is absolutely critical and even more so now than ever, I think. And going back to your question, 2008, if you can think about what happened there, the economic crash, people and businesses suddenly found themselves, we need to be paid. We need to make sure that our business stays stable And how can we do that? Well, we need to make sure that, you know, we're being paid, we're paying our suppliers. And in some ways, it almost mirrors what happened during the pandemic. The difference is we were much more able to cope with that in 2020, 2021, and obviously to some extent this year, because we're able to have that business continuity that we probably wouldn't have been able to do had that hit back in 2008. So The reasons behind it was that kind of thing, trying to find somewhere or creating a platform where people can come together, talk about how they can do things better, more efficiently, and trying to connect them with other people who they can learn and share from. Wow. Now, I can absolutely picture the accounts payable person (laughs) In a finance department, when long ago when I worked in finance departments, who nobody ever really went near, mm. they sat and they did their job or whatever. So I'm I, never really seen, I guess, never seen, never valued either. I would imagine as such, especially by people outside of the department. So how did you become interested in people within accounts payable? What was it? Well, I think that you said the key word there, which is people. And I think that I've always been interested in areas of business or life where you're talking to something which is fundamental to people. And I think the aspect of paying for something 
being paid for something, purchasing something is a key facet for all of us throughout our lives. So for me, that was something which I was interested in and have been interested in for a long time. But I've always been interested, as I said, in those kind of areas that touch on us as humans. And I've had experience in lots of different ways, for example, even within areas such as the arts as well. So I've always wanted to be interested in business, finance, economics, where that touches on people. And as I said, the fundamental aspects of buying something and paying for something. And to the extent that Back in uh, trying to think of the year, I was instrumental in helping to launch what was known as the IAPP, the International Accounts Payable Professionals, into the UK. It was a US organization and they'd been in business for about, I think, 20, maybe 25 years in the US And they had wanted to launch something very similar into the UK. So I was instrumental in helping them to do that. And one time I was doing both things together. So I was running the the PPN network and also the IAPP at the same time. And that was great because that really gave me an insight into how things were done globally, not just here in the UK, and looking at the difference between them. And, And there were some fundamental differences too, but then that developed the network even broader as well. But I think that people are multifaceted, and I'm certainly somebody who has never wanted to be pigeonholed into one particular area. For example, going back a few years, I was working with the Invesco Perpetual and working on the Far Eastern and European investments involved in research and writing the investment reports, for example, and looking at how those investments are going up, going down, etc. And as I say, writing the reports and analysis on the back of that. But I think that we're not just people who exist in this particular vacuum. I mentioned before about the about the arts and being interested in that too, to the extent that I was also going back again a few years, the marketing manager of the Victoria and Albert Museum, which, wow. which is a you might say, quite far removed from purchase to pay and accounts payable. (laughs) But again, it's something which we as humans are interested in, aren't we? I think that our history, how we developed, and particularly in the arts, I think that shows us as, as complete rounded human individuals. Absolutely, yeah. And the people element is so important, Ellen, it really is. And I think it's something that more and more society hopefully is taking a bit more seriously that actually people are doing these jobs Mm. I'm not an accounts payable person I'm a person Mm. who does accounts payable as my job Mm. or I'm a person who buys on behalf of the business or who pays the suppliers whatever it is so Mm. when you bring the people together the 15,000 people that and not necessarily all together in one room but mm-hmm. what brings them together what do you help them with what do you give them what what value is there in it for them coming together I think it's the knowledge sharing really and I think that one person can only know so much if you bring two people in a room the that knowledge is then amplified and it grows and I think that if you then continue that it can then become something which is greater than the individual. And I think that you can think you know something inside and out. Like I said, I've been doing this for 14 years. 
And yet, whenever I meet uh, a group of people within the industry, there's always something that I learn. And there's always something within that room that those people learn as well. And it doesn't really matter how long you've been doing something because you can't know the complete of anything inside out and back to front. And I think that if you ever think that you do, that's probably the time to stop because once you stop being open to learning something new, I think you actually start to slide backwards. And that's the idea of, of the network and the power within it. You want to be able to share your experiences and find out something else because yes, you might've been working in one industry in one sector for X, Y, Z number of years, but the point of a network and a community is that there are people within that that have worked in sectors that you probably never will. But that doesn't mean to say that there isn't something that you can learn from that and bring it to bear on your business. And I've always said that there are two things that I want people to go away from anything that we do at that PPN. And one is for them to walk out the door or put the, put the I don't know, the I was going to say the phone down, but we don't really do that very much anymore, do we? But uh, click off the link when they've been onto a webinar and feel two things. One, that it's been a, a valuable use of their time. And two, that they've learned something new. And as long as every single person that comes to one of our webinars, our masterclasses or the PPN Summit, which you attended earlier on in June and spoke so wonderfully at, as long as people go away with those two things, I mean, every single person feeling those two things, then I think that's been a success. We've done something successful and I'm happy with that because you have to be able to create something which is valuable for the community and that they feel it's valuable for them to have come to and have learned from as well. So that's what we put all of our efforts into being able to do. And that includes obviously thinking about things in a new way and making sure that the topics are credible and valuable and forward thinking. You know, it's no point just thinking about, okay, where are we right now? And putting on topics and talking about things that are happening right now. You need to be looking a bit further into the future so that people who attend your events or come to our webinars or masterclasses or anything that we do, whether that's a blog, for example, they're learning something new, whether that's from me or whether that's from anybody else within the network or from one of our customers or other members or indeed any of our partners, then that, that's something which is valuable because they need to be looking forward into the future, not just thinking about where they are right now. Absolutely. And I think we often, when we're in a busy job which most mm. people are it's head down get on with stuff mm. and there is huge value from taking a step back and looking to the future and imagining what the mm. future of work can be like mm -hmm. because it's only when you start to picture something differently that you can connect those dots and also mm. start to make changes I guess mm -hmm. two things and I was at the event in June in mm. London which was fantastic it was a brilliant day out and it was a valuable use of my time and I learned several things good <laughs> <laughs> but one thing that really struck me when you spoke at the beginning and and I think often when you publish posts curiosity you speak a lot about curiosity and the other one was that actually you have to be in the room mm. and I think that's a point that we forget sometimes that mm -hmm. you're going to miss out unless you're part of the conversation yes 
indeed my my hamilton quote you've got to yes. be in the room where it happens yeah <laughs> and i said it at the day I, I wasn't going to sing and i and i i won't sing for you either season sorry oh, no <laughs> <laughs> i'll save that for another time maybe if you come next year which is the 6th of june 2023 so uh, in the diary <laughs> in the diary <laughs> back at the hurlingham club yeah but you're right you have to be in the room so you've got to be a part of the conversation and i think Going back to what we were talking about just now, one of the reasons why we expanded the network, so we, we're, we're talking to people in accounts payable, we're talking to people in finance and procure to pay and procurement, because those areas overlap and connect and increasingly they're having KPIs attached to those areas of business where we can actually help each other for example straight through processing or areas around the master supplier file who's in charge of that who's looking at that so there are areas which we can increase efficiency in and experience of if we share that and I think if you're not a part of that if you don't think in a collaborative way or prepared to be collaborative or, or a partner to, to the business where it matters, then you haven't got a voice. So there's no point sitting there and thinking, oh, I wish things were like this. I wish things were like that. I wish I could do that, but I can't. Well, you know, if you don't put yourself forward or you as a leader, make sure that you open that platform to have those different areas of the business in the room, talking about how you should connect and how you as a team can connect, then I think that you are doing yourself a disservice really, because going through the pandemic, we're talking about the importance of business continuity and making sure that you've got stability within the business and that kind of resilience that we need. If you're not talking to each other and you're not in the room where it's happening, then you're a step behind others who are who are thinking differently because once we start to share our experiences and voice our opinions then i think that you're 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 able to do things in a much more cohesive way and yes and of course be curious too i think for me they're part of the same thing because if you're not a curious person or you're not a curious business, you're not going to be in the room where it happens. And so it's about opening yourself up to possibilities. And I always say to my children, you know, because they say, oh, I'm not sure of this. I'm not sure of that. And I said, well, if you go and place yourself in that situation, then the thing that you're hoping for might happen. If you don't place yourself in that situation, it 100% won't. That opportunity won't occur for you so you've got to be around and in the room to actually take advantage of opportunities which are coming your way and I, I think being curious is is a part of that and life is so much more fun it's a, when it you're is. curious I think anyway <laughs> no I think so as well and I suppose that's part of one of the reasons why I've done the variety of things that I've done there's a common thread that goes through them <laughs> but I think that it's about being curious and wanting to find out about the things that matter to us as human beings. Yeah, and as you were talking just there as well about rather than thinking about it, actually voicing and, and talking about it, it reminded me, I saw a quote, somebody did a, something on LinkedIn today where they said, you can't plough a field 
by turning it over in your head Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, and it's exactly what you're speaking to there really that actually you know opportunities if it's there and you don't seize it well then yeah, absolutely. It's not going to work out for you. Uh, and, and it's about actually helping other people within your team or encouraging them to be to be curious too. Because what, what you're talking about there, if somebody is churning over these fields within their head, you want to hear what those churns are. You know, perhaps not absolutely all of them all the time, but you certainly <laughs> don't want that person to feel like they can never share those or when they've shared them before in the past, you've said, oh, no, not now, or, or that's a ridiculous thing, or, or you don't want to hear from them. That's actually squashing curiosity within your team. And I think once you start to do that, you lose that talent because they'll soon go elsewhere. They'll either feel so dispirited that they no longer are looking forward to the future and thinking about things that they can do, or they'll be looking elsewhere to go and take their curious mind in another organization and you don't want to be left with all the people in your team who lack that kind of curiosity because how will the business progress if that's the case totally and i think you're speaking to kind of the disengagement as well mm-hmm. that that we see those numbers like if 80 percent of people aren't happy in their jobs mm-hmm. i would think a lot of it is down to the fact that they aren't listened to and their ideas aren't welcome. Mm. So it's so easy, isn't it, to just let people talk and yes. let people bring forth what they're thinking. And mm. I used to always like when somebody new joined as well, it's always a great opportunity to kind of shake up the way we're doing things around here because you know, you do, especially in accounting and finance, I think, and, and probably a lot of other jobs that are process driven, mm. once you get into the process you tend to think right that's that's perfect now and we won't mm-hmm. we won't rock the boat mm-hmm. but actually things can always improve well we're always talking about transformation and the, the thing is we talk about our p2p transformation summit and the reason why we've had eight of those is because a process is never transformed a transformation is itself a process and you you never really get to the end of it. And you might think, oh, gosh, that's a slightly depressing thought if I've got to keep on transforming forever and ever. But actually, the flip side to that is it's quite exciting. Humans, no, we don't like change, but actually it's quite good for us when we do. Yeah, the whole change thing is fascinating because our initial reaction is often just no, because we like to be able to predict what's coming next. It's just the way we work. Mm. But once we know Mm. and once people bring us with them into the change and Mm. make the story for change, then that changes. (laughs) Well, exactly. I mean, I think probably it's to do with control, isn't it, as well? I think that once you feel in, in control of a situation and you understand why something's happening then you feel more able to go with the flow mm. and, and I think that's probably a lot to do with feeling enabled to make that change and maybe it's the the leader's job or someone on the on the exec team to make sure that that change if, if say for example you're talking about a new implementation or a new policy it's the leader's job in that situation to make sure that that whole change management piece is right up there at the top and it's not just an afterthought I mean it's it it always amazes me still that 
no matter how many times we talk about this topic, there are still plenty of people who will say, well, yes, we did implement a, a, a new technology solution and we did involve the people who are involved in, in procuring it and perhaps the exec team as well. But the end users weren't, it, weren't actually included in that conversation. They didn't feel the buy-in, perhaps were a bit fearful of, of what, where their role was going to be or what their job was going to be afterwards. And therefore, we're frightened of it. And I think once you've got somebody on the team who's unsure of what they are doing, one, you're not going to get the, the right kind of results that you thought you were going to get out of it. And two, you've got a kind of disenfranchised set of employees, which doesn't really help anybody. And I've lost count of the number of times that I've spoken to organizations where they've said that, yes, they have implemented a really good change management piece, and it's involved a huge file which they have sent across via email to all the relevant parties and expected them to read it by x date <laughs> you, you can't see my face now but like I've just kind of dropped and well Ellen can see me but you know it's kind of like oh my <laughs> god because I know it's it's the whole talking to people and bringing people with you and also I think with change we're losing something we're letting go of something and mm, that has yeah. to be respected as well yes and that is a piece that we often forget about you're right like the transformation is constant change is constant which is exciting and can be exhausting but <laughs> it's also as long as it's not change for change's sake, but mm. you can see the progression. And I think technology is a huge part of that, Ellen. And tech humanism is something that I know you talk about. So mm. what exactly is tech humanism? It's about remembering that we are all humans at the centre of all of this, because I think that a lot of the times when you're going through a technology implementation, perhaps naturally you think of it purely as a technology piece. You involve the IT department and you think about it in terms of a set of processes. Which process are we going to automate here? How are we going to get more efficient at doing this? And looking at the KPIs purely as a reporting process. And there's nothing wrong with that. You have to have those things as well. Um, but I think like we were talking about just now about the change management piece or the change management element within that, it still is often left to the very last point. And it should be something which is brought back up to the very forefront. And before you think about the technology, you should think about the human experience. And that goes back, I think, to thinking about why something is being done. And that doesn't mean just why from a tech perspective, but why for this particular department or team, should they do it? Which people in that team are you wanting to include in this? And why should they, as individuals, as people that you know, why should they do it? And that also includes the suppliers that you're talking to as well. There's no point putting a, so a technology solution in place and not thinking about how it's going to affect the supply. So they've got to be brought in on this as well. And thinking about it as them, not as a, a bunch of suppliers, but as people and relationships within that. The tech humanism goes a little bit beyond that as well. It's thinking about the technology itself. And so when you are building the technology, you should be thinking about the human element of it as well. So how is this technology going to be? And this, go, this is for the technology providers. They should be thinking about it 
right at the beginning, how is this technology going to be used? And it's funny, actually, because my daughter at the moment, my youngest daughter is, is in the air flying off to Greece. And she's not, a, she's not a fantastic flyer, it has to be said. But since the pandemic, or perhaps during the pandemic, do you, do you remember flying pre-pandemic? There would always be somebody, air stewards, the trolley, you know, would you like a cup of tea? Would you like a cup of tea? Would you like a hot beverage? All of those things. And she actually found that really comforting. As somebody who is not a great flyer, she actually found the human voice and the softly spoken and the very maybe mundane element of doing that reassuring. Since the pandemic, you really don't see very many people on the plane and everything like a cup of tea or gin and tonic is ordered via an app. And I think that you know, the human experience of that, yes, it's more efficient. Yes, it probably saves on, I don't know, well, it certainly saves on maybe perhaps having to have as many air stewards and it certainly saves on time. And But what it's taken away is taken away some human experience. And I think that there is certainly is value in that. There, there's value that's been lost within that. And that is what tech humanism is about. It's about trying to think of the humans when you are creating the technology and its implementation, as well as thinking about how it's going to be used and making sure that you've got the people on board with that tech when you're going to be using it. And I think that more and more, as we start talking about the Internet of Things and how that interrelates with our lives, and probably much more so now that we're going to be working from home a lot more of the time, because I don't know about you, I, I probably don't know any organization yet which is back to working in the office five days a week I, I certainly know organizations that are back three days a week and perhaps that's going to be that turn out to be the norm but I do think that we are going to continue to have to get used to in our business lives and how that relates to the humans within it certainly the younger members of the organization how they can progress and be seen I think that the technology that we provide for everybody and the, whether that goes like Teams meetings, example, Zoom meetings. Um, I think that we have to remember the human experience within that. And for me, that's what tech humanism is all about. So those two sides of perhaps the same coin, remembering the human when you're creating the technology, remembering the human when you're implementing that technology and ultimately bringing the two together and thinking about the overall experience that we get out of it. Yeah, I mean, that's it's fascinating, isn't it? Because things, small things get taken away that people mm. think won't upset people or won't make a difference. Just that reassuring voice on a plane, would mm. you like a cup of tea? How many people <laughs> discussed that? Did it even come up? before they decided to take it away? Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and I know myself, I'd much rather go to a person at a cash register most of the time I like the interaction with human beings Mm. because we do belong to a society and Mm. there's something very cold and I kind of I don't really want to do business in places where I have to use an app to order from the restaurant or the bar (laughs) I'd rather have a chat with the waiter and say what's on special tonight you know and Mm -hmm. and have him tell you the story in his way and yes and there's so much to be said for that I heard somebody talk a few years ago and one of the things they said was with technology always think about 
what like you've been saying always think about how to do this without the technology and mm. then the technology is making it faster or better or whatever yes. but think of it without the technology and design around that and I think mm. that's important but we spend so much money Ellen mm. on technology but we would rather probably spend way more on a new system than on training staff or on investing in people and helping them to do their job better. Do you have any mm-hmm. thoughts about that one? Well, I think really what should happen and what doesn't always happen is that people should look at their processes first of all and really map them out and see where they tie in to the business outcomes as well. Because just because you're running things a certain way now, doing it faster doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to work better with the strategies that you have. So you should be looking at your processing first before you implement any any technology solution because you could find that your the data within it actually isn't as clean as you think so you could actually find yourself speeding up the errors within the system as well and if there's any fraudulent activity going in there that's what you're speeding up as well so i think it's really very important to think about the humans that are within the processing as well And fraud. I mean, you know, it's a word that probably raises people's blood pressure when they hear it and sets off alarm bells and everything. But I mean, it is a reality of the world that we live in and Mm -hmm. the fraudsters get smarter by the day. Well, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or they try new things at least. Mm. Is there an antidote to fraud? Well, I mean, it might be true to say that you could never absolutely get rid of it but what you can do is be more aware of it and certainly think that it could happen in your organization and I think that's one of the key factors which businesses tend not to think I mean even when we're running webinars on the topic you just know or or masterclasses on the topic you just know that people within that room probably think it doesn't happen where they are But if that was the case, it would never happen anywhere. So I think the first and foremost thing to think is, well, actually, it probably can happen in in, in your organization. But what you can do to look out for it is to make sure that your controls are in place. Perhaps you can implement some technology solutions to help you with that as well. Segregation of duty and because what tends to happen, certainly when there has been insider fraud, is this person who is actually doing it is the person who's implemented those processes in the first place. So a lot of the time it's the the finance director or the CFO. Sometimes it's collusion. So they're working with a known supplier or sometimes it's just siphoning off those funds into one of their own accounts. The thing to remember actually is they haven't always set out to do it right from the start. You tend to think of a fraudster as being somebody, oh, you know, know, this this person in a a dark coat, you know, they're, they're, (laughs) they're coming in and they're somebody terribly evil that's coming into your business and they're doing this and they've set out to do it from day one actually nine times out of ten it's it's somebody who has been in the business for some time normally upwards of six years and they have perhaps done something by mistake and it's gone through and wow I can actually do that they found a glitch in the system and where they found that glitch they continue pushing 
at that, continue siphoning funds through that same route. And, and it becomes something which then becomes easy for them. You tend to find that it's something which happens over the course of two, even five years before it's found out. And normally it's only found out when that person either leaves, retires or goes on holiday. Because as I said, it's quite often the person who is in charge of setting those checks and balances up who is actually doing it. So I think you can look out for some red flags, for example, if you're suddenly getting a lot of invoices that sit just under an approval level, for example. And as I said, they're not necessarily the most clued up of, of criminals. There's quite often an, an excess of invoices which are rounded up, the excess of, of invoices which are ending in zero or five. Perhaps somebody who's coming in very early and very late. That's actually one which is hard because if you're a finance director or a CFO, quite often you're doing that anyway. But there are, you know, there are telltale signs and there are certainly things that you can do to help prevent that. And whether we can actually stop it altogether, probably not. But if you make sure that your controls are tight enough, it can probably help it from happening in your own organisation. Yeah, absolutely. People are always coming up with new ways of doing things. And that includes new ways of ripping people off. It's not everybody, not everyone is out to rip everyone off, no. but it is part of who we are as mm. people. Mm. Well, um, sometimes looking at your invoices and you're noticing a large number of duplicate payments, for example, doesn't necessarily mean that it is fraud. It can be just error. Like I was saying, the opportunity, but it's, it's where people then suddenly see, well, okay, do you know that, that that duplicate payment has gone through that time? Perhaps if I issue another, that's when it becomes a fraudulent activity. But even if you are only looking at your controls to stop yourself and your business from creating those kind of errors, then you're going to automatically create all sorts of other efficiencies as well that perhaps you, you know, you're suffering at the moment, you've got all these errors going through, your fraudulent checks should actually stop you from producing those errors as well. Absolutely, absolutely. There's so much, isn't there? I think a lot of times people think that people who are working in finance teams or procurement mm. teams, accounts payable, whatever it might be, just do very simple stuff. But the world is complex and there are a lot of mm -hmm. interconnections that really people need to be aware of. And you need to be able to reason this stuff out without technology so you know what you're looking for as well. I think mm -hmm. that's the other thing. Mm -hmm. and, and I think as well, the, the more that you're able to implement the right kind of processes within your organization, you give people that autonomy that we were talking about earlier as well, because you're enabling them to have visibility into their process, because you're putting these solutions in place, whether that's just processes themselves, or whether that is a, a technology solution, you're enabling them to take control of something, they can report on something, they can have analysis into that processing, which then gives them insight and visibility. And they can manage, so for example, the cash management then becomes better as well. And once your cash management becomes better, suddenly you've got a better relationship with other areas of the business and your suppliers, procurement, for example. And your payment terms, you know, are you paying on time? All of those things become better. And once you start to do that, 
then there are other elements come into play as well. If you're known as a better business, your culture is one which people can believe in and trust in, you're going to get the talent within your team as well. Who wants to work for a company with the headlines splashed all over the paper saying, these people are terrible employers, they don't pay, and as because they don't pay, this small business has gone bust. Who wants to go and work for a company like that? Because if they don't pay their suppliers on time, guess what? How are they going to be treating you as an employee? What kind of ethos does this company have? It gives off all the wrong signals. So you're not going to have the talent that you want within your team. And that even goes for technology too, because once we're becoming more and more digital, you want to be able to have people within your team who are digitally aware. If you're a business that's not um, paying on time, for example, that's a big red flag for people who are coming into your team thinking, actually, do you know what? This organization can't be one which is forward thinking, digitally aware, because if they were, they wouldn't be like this. And the bigger the company is, that the, sort of the more big that profile is. So I think that, the, that large businesses need to be very careful in the future because you can no longer hide behind those bad practices, which you may have been able to hide behind before. Yes, and like hurrah to that as well mm-hmm. for all the reasons you've said. And Ellen, one of the things that you're, that P2P does, the network does, is the annual awards. Mm-hmm. And it's brilliant that people can nominate themselves, their teams, their organisations for awards. And what are some of the things that people are doing to win these awards? Well, we love to talk about success at PPN. And I think particularly over the last couple of years during the course of the pandemic, where we've all been, you know, really challenged and particularly the the procured to pay teams have been massively challenged, you know, paying their suppliers on time. And suddenly, if you think about it, casting your mind back to 2020, these are teams that never for once imagined that they'd be working from home. And they suddenly had to uproot themselves and continue to process that business, continue to pay their suppliers on time and to terms and really innovate how they were doing that. So the awards, actually, it's funny because I was saying that we've been running the P2P Transformation Summit. This is the eighth one, which you were at back in June. But we've actually been running the awards for for a year or so prior to that. We were doing them entirely online. So this is right at the very Um, heart of of what we do is celebrating the success of people within our network and wanting to and and again going back to the the very initial start of this conversation that we had wanting to raise the profile of people working within that area of the business and making sure that they've got a voice so if you can then celebrate the things that they're doing But not only just say, you know what, well done, but shout about it, have it up there, put it on LinkedIn. They offer an award for this because I think it's something worth celebrating. You're not a purely transactional personal area of the business. You are a key element sitting right at the heart of everything that your business does. So from from that respect, we offer a number of different awards, for example, a P2P team of the year, innovation in supporting the business, outstanding contribution to, to P2P, and of course, our manager of the year award, including a leader in finance transformation and our PPN award for excellence as well. 
this year we found people, organizations doing all sorts of things from obviously transforming their processes, moving from a more manual type of process into that more digital world. And also doing the kind of things that we talk about a lot of the time on PPN, partnering with the business, becoming a holistic end-to-end procure-to-pay or source-to-settle department. And people are really doing that now. We ran some research at the beginning of the year and we found that 29% of organisations are aiming to move that way in the future. And by doing that, they are helping to eradicate those kind of silos that we found going back to 2008, where people found themselves thinking, what am I doing here and how do I connect with the rest of the business? Well, go forward 14 years and those organisations are now really developing. They've got the whole holistic department tied into the, the overall business strategy within those different areas of end-to-end procure-to-pay. So that's what the people are are doing within the organizations now. They're really collaborating to be able to do that, becoming more efficient and actually excelling in what they do. And we're talking about some of the stories that they're sharing with us, actually, during our focus week. We are talking and interviewing. So if you want to hear a little bit more about it or the in-depth reasons for them winning the award and the type of fantastic things that they've been doing then you can come and listen to that we are sharing those on demand as well so you can have a listen to some of those award successes fantastic no that's brilliant and so how does somebody do that ellen what is the best way of connecting with ppn and you <laughs> yeah sure so you can find us at dot p2pnetwork.org and once you do that you can if you want to have a look at the focus week there's a tab at the top events scroll down you'll find focus week and you can register for the focus week there and you'll see our other events on there too you can follow us on linkedin you can we've got a, a purchase to pay network group that you can become a member of on LinkedIn. You can connect with me on LinkedIn. You can follow me if you like on LinkedIn. (laughs) And we also have our company page as well, which we share some information on. And you can also follow us on Twitter too. So yes that's it (laughs) all all the different things and of course you can come to to some of our events I've talked about the focus week that we have we also have our future of finance lectures a face-to-face event and we also have as I mentioned briefly earlier on the 6th of June next year so 6th of June 2023 is our ninth annual P2P Transformation Summit at the wonderful Hurlingham Club. And of course, welcome to come along and, and join us there. But you can find all the information that you need on our website, P2P Yeah, and I'll put all of that in the show notes as well, Ellen. Lovely. And hopefully there will be other people joining some of those groups or following you. <laughs> You're more than welcome. <laughs> more the merrier (laughs) absolutely no absolutely and it's about that power of the network and the sharing and collaboration again and being in the room like we talked about earlier Ellen thank you so much for your time today we went all over the place (laughs) and there was lots of really interesting stuff in that conversation so thank you thank you very much Susan thank you so much for listening I hope you've enjoyed the paths we traversed on today's episode If something rang through for you, be sure to let me know. Or maybe you can share this with someone in your life who would benefit from listening too. 
And if you enjoy helping others, I'd be so grateful if you would leave a review so that people who might also be curious about their own life beyond the numbers can discover this podcast too.